Welcome back to Section 247's The Goal Line Stand, all football, all the time. Coming to you from the Michaels Glass Company studio. Michaels Glass Company, serving Philadelphia and the tri-state area since 1978. 215-338-3293. Tell them Mike and Brett sent you. Check out our daily fantasy partner, Thrive Fantasy Sports, thrivefantasy.com, and the Thrive Fantasy app. Thrive Fantasy gave out 10 thousand guaranteed over nfl championship weekend if you did not participate in that you obviously missed out the opportunity to win 10 grand we would have given you free money with a match using code sec 247 download the app that's on google play in the apple store or on the web at thrivefantasy.com and prop up we are also a sports talk philly partner sportstalkphilly.com i'm michael lipinski i am joined as always by brett halpern and Brett, you know, John Madden used to say that championship weekend was the best weekend of the football season. And for the most part, that is correct. It was always better than the Super Bowl. Uh, it, it was always one of those things where the games were just closer. There was more on the line, as crazy as that sounds, because a championship of the league of the world is on the line two, one to two weeks later. This weekend, this past weekend was kind of a, eh, you know. I guess there was drama. There was drama in Green Bay, sort of. It didn't seem like it though. So I agree with you. And there was drama. I think honestly, for the first time, and even though there actually were fans in both stadiums, you know, like what John Madden was referring to, and, and there's others that have said this: Conference Championship Weekend is really the best because. There's nothing like winning a conference championship in your home stadium. And that is like the ultimate. Um, I mean, that's almost, you know, equivalent to in the other sports, winning the championship at home. It's the closest you'll get. And here you had Lambeau Field, an historic venue. You had Arrowhead Stadium, which is the Chiefs fans are known as one of the best fan bases. And you, you didn't have full stadiums. So it just wasn't as loud. So it was definitely lacking there. Uh, the games were strange. The The second game was not really close. I mean, Kansas City did their typical spotting the opposing team nine to ten points and then just take off, and then the rest was it. So, But I think for the first time, you really did miss having fans in the uh, stands, even though there were more than typical. No, and I give credit to specifically Green Bay. I know there's been issues in Wisconsin as it relates to the virus, but I, I, whatever they went, however they've gone about this throughout the postseason, it was a slight ramp up every week where you saw more and more people coming through and more and more people uh, coming in, and they were uh, obviously distanced. Uh, I believe they were households had to come together, something like that. That's that's neither here nor there, but it was nice to see fans there. At Kansas City as well, but they've been there all year. I like Kansas City. It's not one of the more historic venues, but it's one of the oldest. It was built, I think it was built the same year as the old, now gone, Giant Stadium. It's the same it, structure. It was actually before. And okay. Giants, so the it's the same architectural, right. or was the same architectural firm. Uh, Giant Stadium was technically the improvement of Arrowhead, even though Arrowhead always had this more unique look to it. Giant yeah, Stadium was just like a typical bowl. So to yeah, speak. It's, 
it's the way that they the ends up in the upper yeah. deck. There's that dip. Uh, you know why that was partially there originally? No. So a little trivia for you. It, it is right next to Kauffman Stadium in yeah. Kansas City. They were originally kicking around the idea of having a movable roof that was going to come back and forth over the two buildings. So this is in what? This early 70s. Yeah, this is like 71, 72. That would cover Kaufman, the baseball park, and then come back over and cover Arrowhead. I'm glad they didn't. I always liked Arrowhead. I I hope they don't get rid of it anytime soon. I don't think they're going to. Yeah, because they recently put in like two, three hundred million in it. Yeah. To, I think they built like an outer shell to expand the concourses and things that I kind of. Well, it's kind of like Lambo. At Lambo is the same way. Like when they they showed you the aerial shot, and even being in Lambo, I'm like, whoa. You know, I guess I didn't even realize all the improvements that they have made to Lambo. The upper ring of luxury seats. Now I, I don't know if they continued to add more, but it it really caught me off guard. Lambo is huge now. It's when you're, I mean, because because they, you're right. They've built, they've added all these luxury boxes. And then on top of it, there's like two additional upper decks. So it is steep. I mean, I, 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 you know, I really want to go see a game there. Well, we're uh, going to have a whole off season to discuss bucket lists. And that was on my bucket list for, for 2020 and coronavirus, uh, you know, kicked that out because I was looking forward to going to see the Eagles play in Lambeau. Yeah. Anyway, let's get to it. Let's start with the championship weekend. Uh, they, talk about winning a championship in your in your own yard and your own field. It doesn't happen in the NFL in the Super Bowl era until now. There is the uh, quite possibly the opportunity for Tampa Bay to go to Raymond James, where the Super Bowl is being hosted, and win a championship. You know, I think that's the big takeaway here. Tom Brady does it again. The Buccaneers beat. Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers. They shut down the revenge tour. Revenge tour canceled. Revenge tour has been pulled. It is canceled. And Aaron Rodgers isn't too happy about it. Uh, it was it was a really interesting game. You know, credit to the Buccaneers. Um, you know, I, the Buccaneers definitely outplayed the Packers because you could actually argue the Bucs, the Bucs did not play their cleanest game. I mean, they had turnovers. They had costly drops in the red zone. Mike Evans literally dropped two touchdowns. Um, you know, Brady threw three picks. Two or, so, you know, to do all that and still be able to beat the number one seed in the NFC, very impressive. You know, look, I mean, yeah, the, the Buccaneers did everything in their power to give that game away, specifically in the second half. Brady yeah. had three interceptions in the second half, and Green Bay just couldn't capitalize. Yeah, it, it was very obvious though from the fir- watching that first drive that Tampa Bay had, and Brady to his credit, th- those third down passing plays, um, they connected with Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. Um, you know, it was clear to me it, you were watching one of those wild card teams getting hot, and they're just playing a different level of football. And I honestly, I think the biggest difference in the Buccaneers now as compared with during the regular season is the play of their offensive and defensive lines. Offensively, the pass protection is much better, and particularly the run game has improved vastly. You know, they're not they're not going to be rushing for you know 300 yards a game, but between 
Leonard Fournette, who I guess it's good that he's been rested the whole year, and uh, Ronald Jones. You know, they are, you know, they're gaining about 150 yards a game now. They look fresh. Uh, so really credit to them. And then defensively, Shaq Barrett and good old JPP are getting after it. And they, they really did a great job disrupting Aaron Rodgers. I feel like this has been a ramp up for Tampa. Yes, it's them getting hot now in the postseason, but it's probably been, it was, it's probably the first, uh, I guess, what, two, three weeks before wild card weekend. You could tell that they were starting to click. And Brady, yeah. Brady was, you know, he was 20 for 36, 280 yards, three touchdowns, which is impressive, and the three interceptions in the second half. But he was doing Tom Brady things. That's, that's yeah. you know, he was just, you could tell, like, gosh, oh, here it is. Here, this is Tom Brady. It's, it's, he's going to do what he does. That being said, I feel like this win, credit to Tampa, they won. This is what they were built for. That's why they went and they got Tom Brady. This is why they brought Rob Gronkowski to make a run at the Super Bowl. They, they were very clear about that. This was the Packers giving this game away. Yeah, I, I mean, the Packers, I, I still think, if you're just to evaluate both teams, have been better all season, except they they weren't able to capitalize. A, a real big thing about that, well, a few things. First, you know, in the offseason, we killed the Green Bay draft. And they, they got away with it, right? They had an excellent season. But you really saw the lack of a second, a true legitimate number two receiver. I know Marquez Valdez-Scantling had a touchdown. You didn't have a guy to take the pressure off Devontae Adams. And that was really clear. And additionally, you know, the other thing was they really missed David Bakhtiari, who got hurt right before the playoffs. Because, the, as I mentioned, the Tampa Bay uh, pass rush really, they, they got home often. And, you know, a lot of Aaron Rodgers' plays are when he's scrambling around, doing all those different things, and he wasn't able to do that. And because they fell behind so quickly, the other thing is Green Bay wasn't able to run the ball. So it took away their run game, which has always been one of their strengths in this new version of the Green Bay Packers. Yeah, it's on the on the ground, 15 attempts for 67 yards. Yeah, you know, and that, and it's very scattered. It, it wasn't. There was no. There was no rhyme or reason to it. Nobody had more than twenty-seven yards rushing on, on on the team. You could tell that they were out of sorts. I guess is the best way to put it. it their game plan had to get thrown out. Uh, let Let's go to the fourth quarter to the play that I, I am still. There's a couple things here that I'm still a, a little. I, I don't know. So Green Bay is driving to take the to, to potentially tie, what tie the game at that point. To tie, they were down eight. They were down eight, so they would have went in. They before the two minute warning, they would have had to tie the game, and all all through the air, all, they're all they're all through the air. The whole drive was through the air from about the fifteen yard line, and yeah. they, they they get down with inside the ten, and on third down, Aaron Rodgers, couple things here he. Ha- we posted the picture on our social media at GL Stand Show. Uh, it's a picture of Aaron Rodgers and a wide open end zone. Now, a lot of people have commented, "Oh, he would have been stopped at the four. If you watch the playthrough in a still photo, which doesn't, it shows you guys there in the actual video. If actually you watch the play, and we can post it, those guys are gone 
You know, they're continuing in the end zone. Aaron Rodgers. They're flowing away from, from that opening. They're flowing away from the spot where it, the goal line and the pylon. Aaron Rodgers could have at least made an attempt to run for the end zone and a touchdown. Instead, he threw a, a worm burner to Devontae Adams. I mean, great throw because it couldn't be picked. There's only one guy getting it, but it made no sense. Yeah. And who, am I, I, and who am I to second guess Aaron Rodgers? I'm a lineman by trait, and I'm in I'm in a basement recording a podcast. <laughs> well, look, um, it was not the best decision. I think it was a bit of a brain fart. I think he was locked in on passing because you think about it, if you're taking the chance to run and you don't get the touchdown, you're going to cost your team time. So I think that there is he he was perhaps overly mindful of that. Uh, you know, who knows? Maybe he thought, well, I'm going to be going for it on fourth down. And in some ways, you sometimes you'd almost rather be at the eight yard line than the four because you have more space to maneuver. I, I don't. I look. You know, it, it's. I think he was so locked in on that passing because, as you pointed out, he was passing the ball throughout that drive. He was so locked in on just getting rid of the ball that he, you know, tried to force it into Devontae Adams, which obviously was a mistake, but not as much of a mistake as his head coach made in the next play. You're on mute, buddy. So LaFleur decides that instead of going for it on fourth down, and I, I would have assumed that you had, like you kind of just said, there's probably were two plays in Aaron Rodgers' mind. Yeah. They kicked the a field goal that, to make it 31-26, a five-point game. It's above the two-minute warning. So you, you essentially have four timeouts, yeah. you know, an onside kick attempt and four timeouts. Um, yeah. Uh, so the, okay. <laughs> the, it's just such a terrible call to me. So I would have obviously I would have gone for it because first off, if you don't make it, the team is taking over the ball at the eight yard line. And you don't have to kick the ball off. They're not trying at that point, assuming that were the case, Tampa would not be trying to score. They're just trying to kill the clock. So they're going to essentially be, it's going to probably be run, run, pass. The same way it was if you kick the field goal. So, and on top of it, you'd have better field position if they then had to punt and you force them to punt. On top of it, and, and people have pointed this out, you realize by doing this, Matt LaFleur essentially underestimated not one, but two of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. He underestimated his own quarterback, Aaron Rodgers' ability to at least get the touchdown and then hopefully get the two-point conversion. And also then underestimated Tom Brady's ability to get a first down. It was just such a bad call. It was it was a brutal call. And and LaFleur has not uh, he has not been buried enough, in my opinion, for that decision. The, the, this is going back to Tom Terrific getting the Super Bowl again, you know. And I understand that uh, he has Tom Tom Brady. I I think I've seen the statistic was something like forty eight percent of the Super Bowls that have been played since Tom Brady has yeah. taken a snap in the National Football League have been played by Tom Brady. So that's crazy. But where is the heat? for this decision 
Is it just because it's Green Bay? It's like, oh, ho, hum, it's Green. Ah, you know, shucks, we lost. If this happens in New York, if this hap- if this is if this is Joe Judge, if this is Doug Peterson uh, previously, th- I can only imagine what the fan and WIP sound like. Well, I think so. I, I think you hit on one thing. It's still going on in Green Bay, but the problem is Green Bay is such a small market. Although I'm sure it's also in Milwaukee and wherever else the Green Bay fan base extends to Duluth. No, that's Minnesota. Um, the, so that's part of it. But I think it it turned more when Aaron Rodgers reacted the way he did. It turned more towards up oh, is Aaron Rodgers out of here. That that's why I think people are now. It's it's obviously connected to that the bad decision, but it's now. People are evaluating whether Aaron Rodgers wants out and whether he can get out. So we're going to get to that in a few minutes. We're going to have a whole conversation on uh, on quarterbacks and some things that have been going on. Uh, we're going to move on here. We're going to talk Super Bowl preview next. Uh, we're going to move on from the NFC Championship game. We'll talk about Tampa and their chances when we preview the Super Bowl next week. Uh, let's go to the AFC Championship game. And I picked Buffalo to win. I was really riding the Bills. I thought that we were going to be able to pull it off. They came out, they charged out of the gate, the you know, and they had a nine-point lead. And I was like, "Wow, here we go!" And he's just going to fall flat on his face. And uh, no, the Chiefs are the to uh, I guess reference our other show in the fight at in the fight show on all social media. The Chiefs are essentially like the Forrest Griffin of NFL teams. They have to get smacked in the mouth and dr- and have blood drawn, and then they wake up and they're fine. I, I I've never seen a team who in the playoffs will spot an opponent to ten points, nine points, twenty four points, ten points in the fourth quarter last year. It's amazing how this team, you know, it's they they have to operate under a crisis mode, and then you can't touch them. It's remarkable. Is very remarkable, and the Chiefs did what the Chiefs do. I, I mean, there. What else can be said here? Patrick Mahomes. I don't know if he can keep this up for ten years. The things the kid does is just amazing, and Eagles Eagles Twitter was in an uproar because of the way Andy Reid was calling the game and the plays that were being called. And there was a big, well, why didn't this happen in Philadelphia kind of thing? Uh, because the fan, because the players weren't there. They weren't drafted as such. Yeah, I was going to say uh, Todd Pinkston, Tyreek Hill, bit of a difference. James right. Thrash, uh, but you're the Storm and Mormon, Chad Lewis, good tight end. Not tra- Travis Kelsey is going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. It's just remarkable what that Chiefs offense can do. And their defense has come to play. Their their defense, I almost feel, is like peaking at the right time, where they've, I don't want to say they've been suspect all year long, but it hasn't been their strong point. And now they're really starting to to get on their game at the right time. Yeah, the defense is good. You know, I've been thinking about this offense, and it really comes down to they have three truly unique and generational talents. Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, and Tyreek Hill. And particularly as it relates to, we all know what Mahomes can do, but at, with respect to a passing offense, to have a guy like Tyreek Hill 
who I think you could probably make the argument is the fastest player ever in the NFL. And then to have Travis Kelsey, who you can make the argument is one of the most talented tight ends in the history of the NFL, at least from a pass receiving standpoint. The way that they complement one another, the way that they open up the field for one another, it's like you, you can't stop it. You really can only hope to contain it because if you're going to focus on Kelsey, the other guy is beating you either over the top or around the edges. If you're going to focus on um, Tyreek Hill, it's going to be a little bit more of a slow death, and you're going to have Kelsey up the middle just killing you 10, 15 yards a pop. So I don't know how you stop. And then if you choose to somehow double both of those guys, because people have done that in the past. You know, people used to defend the Vikings, uh, you know, the late 90s, early 2000s Vikings. You would double Chris Carter and double Randy Moss. Well, if you do that, then you got Nicole Hardman, who can run it, you know, run away when he's healthy, Sammy Watkins. I mean, and they have a competent running game. Well, and I think it's yeah, amazing. that's the thing. Uh, Edwards Hilaire, he's actually been dinged. So, yeah. You know, you're not getting he, – he only had, a, a, let's see here, uh, six carries, seven yards. Darren Williams was the workhorse, 13 for 52. You, yeah. You're even looking at a running game that's competent, like you said, but not where it was six weeks ago when you had a running back who – kind of like a Westbrook, Brian Westbrook, and for yeah. Philadelphia Eagles fans, you know, an Andy Reid system, you know, who could – make plays and, and, and they use them creatively. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see who's healthy for the Chiefs coming into Tampa and, yeah. and how this is all going to match up. Yeah, well, and the, the one thing, and, and we'll dive deeper into this next week in the preview, Eric Fisher, their one offensive tackle, went down with a torn Achilles, which also really sucks because you think about it, he's going to miss all of next year too because of the timing of this. Um, so now – if you look at, and again, we'll talk about this more next week. If you look at the Kansas City Chiefs offensive line, it is literally all undrafted free agents and seventh-round draft picks heading into the Super Bowl. So that's something to, to, to be mindful of. But, you know, as relates to how it ha- you know happened with Buffalo, they go down nine, and then it's okay. You know, they sort of – it's sort of like they trim the fat with respect to their playbook. And they just work on what work they they do what works, and it's focus on Kelsey, hit Hill, F- hit Hill, focus on Kelsey, beat them, you know, to the sidelines, beat them vertically, it, it, and it's just you can't stop it. And I think Buffalo was sort of, you know, we talked about before the game, you know, Buffalo doesn't really have a run game, you know, offensively, which I think hurts because they can't kill the clock, and defensively they're good. But you have to really be a special defense or have a truly elite game plan to stop Kansas City. And 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 Buffalo had neither. Uh, frankly, I thought this was a bad performance for Leslie Frazier. I mean, if you kept listening to Tony Romo, he kept saying over and over with respect to Kelsey, just at least, you know, hit him off the line of scrimmage. And he kept getting free release after free release. You, you got to... I know that that sacrifices your pass rush, but you have to disrupt Kelsey somehow. So it's just, look, Buffalo should feel really good about their season. I know they're disappointed. 
they're, they're still a few steps away from being a championship team. Right. I would agree with you. I, their offense needs a little bit more. Stefan Diggs was able to, they, you know, they, the Chiefs shut him down. He yeah. wasn't the, the threat that he was all season long. Josh Allen had a good game, but same thing, almost had to do too much. You know, when your quarterback's rushing for 88 yards, that, that tells you something. You know, you, yeah. You're putting too much on him, and he's had a great year of development. I think the Bills are probably the favorite coming in next year, obviously, for the AFC East. Yeah. Uh, who else is there? Nobody. You don't know. Jets, uh, Jets are the Jets. The Patriots are in shambles right now well, unless Carson Wentz becomes their quarterback. Well, uh, well yeah, or Deshaun Watson. Or Deshaun Watson. We're going to get to that here in a second. You know, it's it's certainly going to be interesting. But Buffalo fans, look, go jump through a table. You had a great year. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I mean that in a loving, loving way. You're on my bucket list. I keep telling you that. No, absolutely. Look, I I, I, I was high on the, the Bills. And you go to the conference championship game, I, I understand you're disappointed, but that's that's a that is a very good year. Absolutely. Right? And this is not one of those teams that was constructed to you know, we didn't say like they're going to win the Super Bowl. So there are those certain teams, like for instance, Baltimore, this was a failure of a year. But Buffalo, this was a really good year and, and, a, and a learning experience too for a young quarterback. Exactly. It was perfect for what they were trying to accomplish. Yeah. Let's talk about some coaching hirings in the league. The cycle has completed itself. And quite frankly, uh, in Philadelphia, Nick Sirianni comes in, offense coordinator from Indianapolis. Uh, this was a little bit of a surprise, I think. The trend was going to Josh McDaniels. We discussed it at length a week ago. And by all accounts, Half the Eagles organization was in on it, half was not. But here we are. Nick Sirianni, Eagles head coach, has not been formally introduced yet. Uh, the team is following him around, taking pictures galore. Uh, you know, okay. It's an interesting pick from as an Eagles fan. I look at it and I say, huh. But I, I, I think I, I think I understand the thought process. You know, Frank Reich, the Frank Reich branch of the tree that's who you're getting i don't know he's worked with he's worked with some heavy hitters at quarterback philip rivers twice in his career he, he's obviously worked with andrew luck he, they say he's a little bit of a hard ass so that makes you believe maybe this is a, a fixed carson wentz kind of higher so if i was an eagles fan I'm sure there were there were bigger names out there, but that doesn't necessarily mean that those bigger names are going to be the right guy. You know, from all accounts, everywhere he's gone, he is, you know, highly thought of. He's known as, as you said, a, a tough guy, but also a very smart guy. I have no, I have no initial issues with the hire. Uh, again, it may not be the sexiest hire in the world, but you know, in the end of the day, that's not what's getting you a Super Bowl. You know, I, I still question, and this has nothing to do with him. I just still question whether Carson Wentz and this experiment is going to work because, yes, it sounds like Sirianni is, is a tough coach. Reich was coached up Wentz hard, but, you know, Wentz was younger. Now he's an, he's technically, I guess, an established veteran with all that money. I don't know how he's going to take to hard coaching. We don't, we don't know. 
So that that it all comes down to how this relationship is, and Sirianni has to walk a fine line of establishing a rapport, but also establishing, you know, kind of an an alpha relationship with you know to to Wentz. So I think that that's really the biggest issue, and you know, will Sirianni also be given enough leeway to if the Wentz situation explodes? Does he also have an opportunity to come out the other end and then, you know, coach the team as, you know, he sees fit? That's that's the parts we don't know. I think one of the interesting things here is Brian Johnson, former offensive coordinator now from Florida, has been brought in as the quarterback's coach. And there is a connection to Jalen Hurts that goes back almost uh, – how old is Jalen Hurts? He's 21, so 17 years. Yeah, Brian Johnson has known Hurts his uh, – for the better part of his life. So yeah. that is certainly interesting. Look, we'll see what happens. We'll, I'll talk Eagles uh, more on this on Section 247 show, but it's an interesting hire. One thing I will say is a lot of Eagles fans have been upset of over the coaching staff, all coming from Indianapolis with Sirianni. Look, this is what happens. When you build a staff, you bring the people you know. You know, he's had this in his mind forever. I'm sure he has. I mean, I if I ever get back into coaching, I have a staff. I have a staff in my mind of people that I that I want to put in there. Guess what? You're calling defense. I'm sorry, pal. I'm taking the offensive play sheet. You're running the defense. It is you're what talking, it is. You're I'm talking to me. Yeah. Uh-huh. So I'm, yeah. I'm no, I'm I'm definitely the offensive coordinator. You're fired. Um so <laughs> you know it, it, it's you have this idea if you're in, if you're a coach, you know who you want to bring with you. You've, yeah. you've had this game plan for years. I think people just need to relax with it and, and move on. But uh, isn't but, Shane Steichen is coming from LA? He's coming from LA. They had they had it, but so who yeah, I really but, like by the way. Well, Chargers fans are like, thank God this guy is gone. So that's I find interesting, but I don't know that whole thing we've talked about it was a little bit of a mess. Yeah, uh, and I think that comes from ownership with the Chargers. I really like that hire. So Eagles fans, I'm you know I will vouch for that. I I really like that hire. Jonathan Gannon came from the defensive coordinator came from Indy, but this is what happens. I mean, this is how it works. Andy Reid did the same thing when he when he came to Philadelphia in 1998 1999. So just yeah. just, just relax with it. Yeah, you know, look, I mean, I, I don't know, I don't and this look, this also goes to giant fans last year. I don't understand like fan bases what they're expecting when you're hiring the coordinators, or it's good. You need guys who are going to work well with your head coach. It, it's it's as simple as that, you know. And, and I get look, I get. I think some people are upset about Deuce Staley. Look, appreciate Deuce Staley for his time as a running back. Appreciate him for his time. With the Eagles as an assist, you know an assistant, but it's time to move on, and he got a job, so you know he's okay. And Deuce Staley was offered the coordinator role a couple seasons ago, and he turned it down because he wasn't going to be able to call plays. Well, guess what? That goes a long way when you're interviewing for that next position in line. Yeah, uh, let's let's talk before we get to quarterbacks because there's a lot going to be a lot of quarterback movements. The the, the Texans have made their hire, and it was I expected to see Eric Bieniemy's name pop across ESPN last night and no. No. So the, the new head coach for the Houston Texans is David Cully. 
the assistant head coach and passing game coordinator of the Baltimore Ravens. We should point out it actually. So it, um, it actually is the low minority hire of this coaching um, carousel of 2021, the 2021 off season. Um, look, I, frankly, Eric B and the other finalist for this position was Leslie Frazier, the defensive coordinator for the Buffalo bills. Frankly, I think Eric Bieniemy made the smart move. Um, as I told everyone last week, I was going to do a deeper dive on Jack Easterby, who is the head of football operations for the Houston Texans. You know, he and Nick Casario, the GM, are running the team. Uh, this team, I wouldn't touch it with a ten-foot fishing pole if I was a coach. So I did, you know, like I said, I did some research, read some articles about Easterby. I mean, the guy started as a character coach and spiritual advisor for the South Carolina basketball team. He became a life coach and team chaplain for the Kansas City Chiefs. Then he joined New England, and now somehow he's the executive VP of football operations. Yeah, So, Mike, this is a guy who has no background in football. This is what he's in charge of in Houston. He's the head of strength and conditioning, logistics, salary cap management, sports science, video. I don't really know what that means player development, and security for football operations. He basically sounds like Jared Kushner. I'm not trying to get political, but it's like this random guy who's in charge of all these things. You know what I mean? It's just – so then in terms of like several of the issues he has created since he's been in Houston, so he's undermined other executives and decision makers, including Bill O'Brien, right? And obviously Bill O'Brien's gone. He was in charge. He arranged for the team to hold workouts at the head strength and conditioning uh, coach's house during the pandemic after the NFL had ordered franchises to shut down facilities. And there actually was a breakout of infections for the team. And this is before the teams had to report to the media that there were infections. He advocated for the trade of D'Angelo Hopkins. And he's fostering a culture of distrust among the staff and players to the point that players are literally think that they're being followed and tailed by investigators. And credit to Jenny Vrentis of SI.com, formerly uh, MMQB.com. She's done tremendous reporting on this. This guy is like the, the best way. He's sort of like a Joel Osteen, like one of those mega church guys. It, it's just very strange. And he's the spiritual advisor to the owner. It's a mess. It is a mess. It's so such a mess. So they, they bring in Cully as the head coach. He's been yeah. a lifelong assistant in the National Football League. Yeah. I, I mean, good for him. I, I he deserves a shot, I guess, if yeah. he's interviewed here. And, and but he's inheriting this disaster. And now his quarterback, Deshaun Watson, is officially asked to be he wants out. He, yeah. he, he wants out of there. It's all over social media today. It's all over Twitter, the Schefters, Mortensons. It's all officially, they he, he has officially asked the, the Texans, get me the hell out of here. Uh, we can go a deeper dive in the coming weeks, but quickly, where do you see him, Deshaun Watson, maybe ending up? You already mentioned New England. There's New England, you know, there were some reports that, there was conflicting reports. Some people had reported that he preferred the the Jets. However, if you look at you know the Jets order, Woody Johnson, he's in the past made several racially insensitive comments 
So some people were saying, no, that's not the case. I think Miami is the preferred destination. The other um, tricky component to this is Deshaun Watson has a no trade clause. So he really has all the leverage here because it's not as if the, the Texans don't just have the ability to work out a trade with anyone. They're going to have to work out a trade with a team that Deshaun Watson gives the okay to. I know, I think ESPN Plus did a thing today saying basically there's there's 17 teams, obviously, like three or four of which far more likely than the rest. But there's really just like 17 teams that are possibilities. Uh, among them, the Giants, I, I don't see it, though. For the Aaron, Giants, that is. Aaron Rodgers, there was a speculation after Sunday that he could be on his way out of Green Bay. I think he split that to bet. He was on with Pat McAfee. Oh, uh, in, in the past couple of days, and and basically said he doesn't see that happening. He expects to be in Green Bay. I don't think that you're going to have a scenario where Aaron Rodgers is leaving Green Bay anytime soon. No, but he's now. I think his relationship with Matt Lafleur is forever ruined. I certainly think that they should probably sit down over a beer and some cheese curds or something like that. I don't know Miller High Life and, and try and figure it out. I don't think it's, it's not going to help. Yeah. It's not going to help. It, it, he's just going to be a grumpy bastard. I, I do think he is actually going to want to ask for a new contract because if you look at the money remaining left on his contract, he's like eighth or ninth in the league in terms of average salary per year. So that could, if he asks for a new contract and they balk at that, that could maybe change things. But he actually should ask for a new contract and it would actually help out. The Packers from a cap perspective. So it's going to be interesting to follow there throughout the whole offseason. Uh, Detroit, once again, uh, I'm not going to call Matt Stafford an elite quarterback, but Matt Stafford, I believe, was very underrated and maybe underappreciated as a quarterback uh, with the Lions, similar to the way Megatron, like years wasted with this guy's talent. He, he is officially wanting out of Detroit. Detroit is going to, to facilitate the move the Matt Stafford era is over in the Motor City. Yeah, and supposedly there have been a bunch of teams that have called uh, trying to assess what the you know trade value is here. He's definitely going to be moved, and I'm very interested to see. You know, to me, Indianapolis is a team that makes a lot of sense, and that makes a lot more sense than going to get Carson Wentz. You know, it, although now there, there's no way Carson Wentz is being moved. But if there was that possibility, I would rather have Matthew Stafford for a few years. There is rumors that Carson Wentz can be moved if need be moved, but we'll see what happens there. We will follow that throughout the course of the offseason. Uh, we are going to have coming up here over the weekend. It's going to drop. It's our Hall of Fame special. We're going to take a look at the players who are up for the Pro Football Hall of Fame and who we think the finalists are going to be. I think people will get in, unlike baseball who just made a mockery and a sham of their selection process. So check that out. Follow us on all social media at GL Stand Show. That's Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, in the show notes will be a link to the Facebook group. Come join us. Check out Thrive Fantasy and Prop Up, and we will see you next week.